All right, we're in a series, uh, Unsung Heroes, and what we've uh, decided with this series is that we're gonna slow down a little bit, and we are going to uh, look at individuals that we normally would just skip right over. We read their names, but because they're not major players, or at least we don't perceive that they're major players in the story, we don't really stop and, and think about them. These are ordinary people who in many cases, uh, we don't even know their names, but they have this extraordinary impact on the narrative that God is writing. And what I'm hoping comes out of the series is that you feel a sense that you too are called to play a part in God's narrative, that, that there's an unsung hero in all of us, and it's about just staying faithful to what God has called us to do and doing our part. I hope that there's something uh, maybe a little more relatable about these individuals because they're not the major players. They're not leaders of countries. Nobody's written songs about them. They're not, you know, great prophets, great kings. And those are all great people for us to study. But these are the ordinary folk. And I think there's something for us just to, to resonate with, if you will. Okay? So we are uh, talking about a gentleman by the name of Sylvanus. Who knows who Sylvanus is? Anybody know? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> Only two people in the room know what I'm doing right now. But anyway... <laughs> So uh, Sylvanus, he's, he's mentioned in four different chapters of Acts. Uh, he's mentioned by name in both uh, First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, he's mentioned by name as well. So he's a pretty major uh, contributor to the first century church, to the early church, right? But it was kind of a trick question because he's another one of those people that goes by two different names. And the other name he goes by is Silas. How many of you know who Silas is? Oh, yeah. So I did that on purpose because if I asked Silas first, he would have known and it's not nearly as much fun. So anyway, we're going to look at Silas and we're going to ask the question, what is it about Silas that we can learn from? What is it about his life that we can, that we can take and we can apply into our own lives? So grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. I'm actually going to read an excerpt from chapter 15 and an excerpt from chapter 16 because I want you to get the, the whole story, if you will, uh, as we go through this. As I get ready to read uh, chapter 15, the verses out of chapter 15, let me just put those in context. The apostles have spent some time deliberating, for lack of a better word, how to instruct the Gentile believers to live out their faith. The question was, if a, if a Gentile becomes a follower of Jesus, do they have to then follow all the Jewish customs? Do they have to do the food restrictions? Do they have to be circumcised? What is, the, what is it that they have to do along with accepting Christ? That was the debate, because in their mindset, they were all Jewish, and to be Jewish was to do all these things. So now you're accepting Jesus. You're coming into the faith. And so there was just this tension. Do they have to do all the things that we have to do? And, you know, they could have been asking the question, do we have to do it too? But in this case, their, their concentration is on the Gentile believers. And so they decide to write a letter and send the letter out to the Gentile believers, instructing them what they need to do. So that's the context of what we're reading. Acts 15, we're starting in verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 40. And it said, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so they, they sent Judas called Bersabbas and Silas, there he is, leading men among the believers with the following letter. Jump down to verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. This is the letter that explains to them how to walk out their faith. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off 
in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Flip over to chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse 25. Crazy set of circumstances here that you can go back and read later at the beginning of chapter 16. But Paul has cast out a demon and a young girl. It's uh, caused some stirring in the city. And now they've been arrested, uh, beaten, thrown in jail, and now they're in jail. So we pick up the scene after all that. Again, you can go back and read that um, this afternoon if you want to get the whole context of the story beginning at 16. But in verse 25, they're in jail, and it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I'm not sure that's a common way that earthquakes play out, but in this case, that's what happened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and and all who were uh, in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them into the house, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, John has already told you that things are going to be a little bit different, but we're going to use this story and we're going to come back to worship in just a few minutes as I, as I unpack this. But what I want to do right now is just pray for us. So Lord, as we uh, unpack this uh, story of Silas and, and the person of Silas, I pray that you would uh, bring revelation into our own hearts, that we would receive a word from you, not from Doug, not from John, not from any of the writers of the songs that we sing, but that you, the living God, would speak to our hearts that the word that you speak would become a seed of truth that uh, takes deep roots and that bears fruit a hundredfold in our lives. Pray that we would leave different than we came because we've sat in the presence of the living God. Amen? So the question is, who is Silas? What do we know about him? If you read the Acts account, we know that he was a Roman. I don't know that that matters much, but he was a Roman citizen. If you keep reading the story I just finished in 16, that becomes part of the controversy that they beat a Roman citizen. So we know he's Roman, but we also know that he was a leader. Not just a leader, but he was a well-respected uh, important leader in the early church. So when we look at chapter 15, verse 27, or excuse me, 22, it says, they sent Judas Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men above the believers. Those words, leading men among the believers in the NIV, just as translated, leaders among the believers. They, there was something about them that, that caused them to be a leader, to be well-respected, to be somebody that other people looked up to, other people emulated. They were helping other people to navigate their faith and to, to walk with God. And I think the fact that he's a leader is important, but I think the deeper question we want to wrestle with for the next few minutes is, what is it about Silas that made him a leader? And I don't think it's any stretch of the the text and what we see about Silas to know that what made him a leader was his attitude and his response towards God. 
The way Silas responds to God, the way that Silas connects with God is what infused into him, to him the ability to be a leader, to be an encourager, to be a person who helps others. I say this to you all the time, but it's worth remembering and hanging on to. The way that you relate to God and the way that you relate to people, there is always, always, always a one-to-one correlation. So if you see God as an object to be used to get what you want, then you see people as an object to be used to get what you want. If you find yourself being naturally disconnected and, and, and distrusting of God, you will be a person who is disconnected and distrusting of people. I'm just telling you there's a one-to-one correlation. The value of that is pay attention to how you relate vertically, and it will give you some insights as to how you relate horizontally. And so what this tells us is Silas had a good relationship with God, that he had an ability to to connect with God and know who God was. And and because of that, he was able then to to relate to people as well. Well, The other thing that we know about Silas is that he was a worshiper, right? There's no question that he was a worshiper. Now, here's what I want you to hear. All believers are not worshipers. Now, all believers should be worshipers, but all believers are not worshipers, okay? So we look at the story, and we see in chapter 16 that Paul and Silas have been stripped, pretty embarrassing, pretty humiliating. They've been beaten badly with rods. I'm not sure you can be beaten goodly with rods, but they've been beaten severely with rods. They've been put in jail, and they're in stocks, and that just means that they're pretty much incapable of moving. They're probably in a sitting position. Uh, Their feet are probably extended and locked into something. Their hands are probably locked where they can't move, And, and what I've been thinking about this week is just how difficult after being beaten open wounds on your back and on your sides and not being able to even move to, to, to relieve some of the pain. It's just in addition to the, to the uncomfort. So we know without doubt that they were incredibly uncomfortable, right? Can we just own that? They were physically uncomfortable. There was no way they were sitting there thinking, man, I feel good right now. This is like staying at the Hilton, right? None of that was going on. They're uncomfortable. And in Acts 16, verse 25, it says, so it's about midnight. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So how do we know that he was a worshiper? Because worshipers worship regardless of their external circumstances. Worshipper, someone who has a a DNA of being a worshiper, doesn't allow the external circumstances to dictate whether or not they are going to be a worshiper. There's something that Silas has learned. Now, you can say, well, Paul was there too, but I can tell you, Silas didn't have to worship, right? Paul could have said, hey, let's sing some hymns. He could say, you can sing all you want to sing, but I ain't singing tonight because I'm in prison and I don't like it. Right? He could have refused to sing. So we know Paul was a worshiper as well. We don't know who, who thought of it. We don't know who said, let's do this. It doesn't really matter because they were both willing and to do it. And he just tells us that Silas is a worshiper. All right? And so we're going to spend a few minutes just kind of unpacking what it means to worship. But the only way we can really understand worship is to start with the recognition that there is a difference between praise and worship. Now, we are called to praise God. We are called to give God praise. It's part of the, 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 the calling of Scripture that we, that we give God praise. So I'm not saying anything negative or derogatory about praise. I just want you to comprehend that there is a difference between praise and worship. And one of the ways I would distinguish the difference is praise is way easier than worship. I might even say praise is, is easy. 
And praise is the idea of, of seeing something good that's going on. It's, it's seeing the, the beauty of God. So sometimes if you're Denny Chabot, it's looking at a sunset, right? And being amazed at a sunset and giving God praise. It's, a, it's, it's not that it's easy might be the wrong word, but there's something that captures you when you see God in nature. Have you ever like looked at a, a flower, like really looked at the intricacies of a flower and just thought, man, God, you are so creative, how did you, you know, some flowers just blow me away, all the different colors, and Meg makes fun of me because I always stop and take close-up pictures with my phone of flowers because I'm just amazed at the details of the colors. And, I, and, and in those moments, I always say, God, you are so creative. That's so cool. That's praise, right? When I hold my grandbaby, and I just think, man, this is the coolest thing ever. God, you are so good. You are so awesome. Thank you for, for, for making this little baby and giving him to me. That's praise, right? And, that's, and it's a good thing, it's a right thing, and we are all called to do it, right? We're, we're called to, to count our blessings and see what God has done and, and recognize it. But, but did you know this? Praise is not something that's just reserved for God. We're supposed to praise one another. When you see somebody doing good, it's okay to give them praise. As a matter of fact, if you have kids, you ought to praise them for doing the good things because then they're gonna do the good things more often, right? So praise is, I'm supposed to give praise to my team when they do something well, when they do something right. So, so praise is a good thing, but praise is not reserved just for God, okay? But worship is. Worship is reserved for God, and I think the more accurate way for me to say this is worship should be reserved for God. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, if we really start to wrestle, we begin to realize that sometimes we worship things that we shouldn't worship. We worship things by holding them at a place equal to or, either, or even higher than God. Things that, that pull us away from our relationship with God become things that we worship. Okay, so, so what I want you to just wrestle with even internally is, is there anything in my life that I've elevated to a place that, that competes with my worship of God? And here's the deal. I think more often than not, those are good things. They could be your kids. It could be your job. It could be, uh, you know, even money, which is a necessary thing for you to, to get through life. There's all kinds. It could be just physical health. Like that's become such an idol for you and it's, you're obsessed with it to the point that it's getting in the way of your walk with God. It's just having your priorities straight. So, so worship is reserved for God and it's worth our time and energy to ask ourselves regularly, is anything competing with my worship of God? It's not in my notes and I didn't talk about it last night, but I was just thinking about it last night. I struggle at some sporting events and I struggle at, at a lot of concerts because what I think I see is worship. It's not like, hey, this is good, but people are like giving their lives to following the lions, which I can't understand to save my life. <laughs> if you can worship the lions, you ought to be able to worship God. That's all I got to say. But anyway, but the point is like, there's something whenever I'm at those events where I'm like, man, we've gotten a little off skew here. Right? We've, we've gone to an extreme. I, I showed a picture not too long ago of going to the YouTube concert. Like, that something crossed the line somewhere in that concert where it, it, was, it was beyond what it should be. That's all I'm saying. So, so it's okay for us to, to give praise to Bono. That's good. He's a great musician. You know, that's good. But, but it, you could ask yourself, if, I, if I've gone too far, am I worshiping this musician? Am I worshiping this team? Am I, am I so obsessed that I'd rather be watching that than spending any time with God? So it's just a good thing for us to, to, to think about. And so when I go back to the story of Silas and the story in Acts, the challenge for me this week uh, really has been, could I 
be a worshiper the way that Paul and Silas were worshipers, right? They've been brutally beaten. The passage says they were inflicted with many blows, right? They're placed in stocks, yet they're singing and worshiping. And I realize in my own life, you know, I get dejected. I get uh, off track with far less hiccups in my life than being beaten and thrown in prison, right? And the question is, have I developed a true sense of worship? Have I, have I got to the place where I understand that God deserves to be worshiped regardless of my circumstances? So I, we did this thing at the beginning of the year called the One Word Challenge. Um, how many of you are still working on your word, holding on to your word, trying to figure out how to integrate your word? Come on, it's got to be more of you than that. But anyway, the idea was ask God to give you a word to, to just focus on for the entire year, a word that if you could come out of the next year and have it be a part of your DNA would be a good thing. My word was joy. And what I'm discovering is worship and joy are so interconnected. Like if I really do understand this and I really do enter into seasons and, and, and have a heart of worship regardless, that I will naturally have joy in all times. And it does feel like I'm doing better with joy, but it still kind of comes and goes. There's t days where I realize, boy, I, I didn't pass the test of having joy today. I've been rather unjoyful. And so it's been a good journey for me. Hopefully it's been a good journey for you in your, in your um, figuring out your word as well. So praise is often easy, but I think worship is hard. And here's why it's hard, because it requires letting go of your own wants and desires. When you really want something, when you really desire something and it doesn't happen, it's easy to become dejected. It's easy to become disheartened, and it's easy to lose your sense of worship. Worship requires that you just have this trust in God's plan and God's sovereignty where you say to yourself, God, this is not how I wanted this to go. This is not what I expected. This is not the story I thought you were trying to write, but I am going to trust that you know better than I do, that your ways are better than my ways, that your thoughts are better than my thoughts. That's the, the necessary part of, of worship. And here's the awesome, incredible truth. Worship unleashes the power of God in our life and it shapes both our character and our circumstances. Let me say that again. Worship unleashes the power of God in your life and it shapes your character and it gives shape to your circumstances. So let's talk about character first. We look at Silas and what we see about him in verse 32 uh, it says that Judas and Silas were themselves, they were prophets, they, they encouraged and strengthened the brothers. I believe that that ability to be a prophet, to strengthen and encourage, came out of Silas's heart for worship. He was connected to God. He had this true connection of knowing who God was and being connected to God, and it meant that God spoke to him, and as God spoke to him, he would have words for people. Sometimes people get hung up on the word prophet. You know, we still have prophets in the church today. Did you know that? We do, and a prophet is just someone who hears something from God that's for another person. So if I were to hear something uh, for Roia, and it was just a word like, God, I, I think God just wants to encourage you in your, in your schooling, and that you're going to do great, and you are going to be an incredible lawyer, and maybe I don't even know Roia, and she would say to me, how did you know I was studying to be a lawyer, by the way? I didn't know that, but... But she would say, how did you know? I didn't know. That's a prophetic word, and it happens more often than you think. Have you ever just felt the nudge to call somebody? Like God has just put somebody on your heart and you called them and they said, I, 
I don't know how you knew to call me right now. I needed to hear this encouragement right now. To me, that's God speaking to you and you using that and being obedient in that. It's a prophetic word and you call and you give somebody a word of encouragement they need to hear. So, so anyway, but you're not gonna have that connection with God unless you have this heart of worship. Your ability to encourage others is really related to how much encouragement you've received from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction and with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Some translations actually translate this, this whole verse, and instead of comfort, they use the word encourages, who encourages us in our affliction so that we can encourage others. Silas must have been a person who stayed connected to God, who was encouraged by God, and that's why he's described as an encourager of the believers. It's a beautiful picture. The verse is telling us as we connect to God, God pours into us, and we are able to pour into other people. Worship shapes our character. It changes who we are. As you connect to God, as you trust in God in all circumstances, as you are able to say, God, it's not the way I planned it, but I am going to trust you, God will show up and God will shape your character and and do good things in your life. But there's more to it. Sometimes, and it's important to hear this, sometimes worship changes the circumstances. I don't believe that Paul and Silas began to pray and worship as an attempt to move God, to bring an earthquake, to free them. For I think they assumed they were going to be in prison till tomorrow morning anyway. I don't think they thought, okay, let's do some praise and worship because I don't like it here and maybe God will set us free. I don't think that was in their mind. They were praising God because God was worthy of being praised. And in the time of giving God praise, God shows up in a miraculous way and does more than they can ask, think, or imagine. The the floor shakes, the, the binds are broken, and they are free. And better yet, the jailer becomes a believer and he becomes one of the important people in the early church as well. And so it's just, it's a beautiful picture of God sometimes, and I want you to hold on to the word sometimes, shows up in the midst of our prayers and brings healing or sets us free or captive. But if we do it for the purpose of manipulating God, then we've missed the point. Now God is an object to be used and we're not worshiping him just because he is who he is. So we need to come to God with, with a purity of heart, not to manipulate God, to make, not to make a deal with God. And, and what we're going to find out is God moves more often than we even think he will. That God brings healing in the midst of worship. That God brings freedom in the midst of worship. But, but we worship because he's worthy of worship. Make sense? All right. Last thing I want you to hold on to, and this will lead us into a, a time to worship, is that there's something in the scriptures that I call the discipline of nevertheless. The discipline of nevertheless. If you read through the Psalms, and I think good chance that Paul and Silas were well-versed in the Psalms, it's a common phrase. The psalmist would pour out their hearts in all honesty to God. They would say, God, this doesn't make sense to me. God, you are confusing to me. God, why do evil prosper? God, why am I in this bad situation? God, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? God, I don't like what's going on. And then right in the middle of the Psalm, they would say something like, but nevertheless... You're God. 
but nevertheless, you're holy, but nevertheless, you love me, but nevertheless. So there's this beautiful picture of a, a turning of phrase, and it's something we can, we can learn from, because what the passages in the Psalms are telling us, and the Psalm I'm about to read, is that it's okay for you to be disappointed. It's okay for you to tell God the things that don't make sense for you. It's okay to pour out your heart and say, God, this is not what I wanted. God, this is not the way I wanted my life to go. God, this isn't what I thought you were going to do. God, I don't understand why you wouldn't or why you would, right? Those God invites that. He is okay with that. He wants that. I think God actually wants us to wrestle through all that with him. But at the same time, always saying in your spirit, but nevertheless, you are good. You are holy. You are awesome. You love me in ways that I don't even understand. So I'm going to read Psalm 73, just a few verses. It says, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. But here's the word, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can see the discipline of nevertheless in that passage. He's, you can see the tension. He's, he's, he's not happy. There's, there's, his heart is, is hurting, but nevertheless, you hold my hand. Nevertheless, you guide me with your counsel. Nevertheless, whom have I in heaven but you? Nevertheless, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nevertheless, God is my strength in my heart and my portion forever. If we want to be like Silas, we have to start with intentionally turning our hearts to God in worship regardless of our circumstances. We have to live into the nevertheless principle. And so that's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up. Uh, we're going to sweep the TV off of here, and, and we're just going to take a little time to be honest with God. So as they get ready uh, to lead us in worship, what I'm going to ask from you is to just close your eyes for a minute, just listen, and, and in your own heart, just tell God where you're disappointed. Maybe you've never felt the freedom to talk this way at church because you have to put on the good church face when you get here. You have to say, I'm good, praise the Lord, and, and that's good. But maybe you just need to take a minute and tell God, what is it that's, that's been hard for you? Where's, where's life not been what you thought it would be? Just spend a few minutes being honest with God. God, I, I don't think I would have scripted it that way. And if you're not in one of those seasons or you can't think of anything, then... Glory, hallelujah, right? That's a good place for you to start. God, I am so blessed. I don't, even, I don't even know what Doug is talking about. But for most of us, there's been some disappointment. Death, brain tumors. I had a good friend commit suicide last night, right? Like, I don't even know what to do with it. I haven't even been able to process, like, what? Like, God, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. How? Why? Right? So those traumas in our life, how do we... How do we navigate into that? Like, how do we even, how do we even know? And, and all I can say is, I don't, I don't understand God, but nevertheless, you're good. So spend some time talking to God, and then John's going to lead us in the nevertheless. He's going to lead us in a time of worship. And I just want to encourage you to just worship. Not because everything's going perfect, but because God is God. And he loves you with an unfailing love. He loves you so much that he sent his very own son to die the most brutal death in history so that you could be reconciled to him. That's enough for us to worship. 
So we're gonna worship with a few more songs and, and the invitation is just worship. And if there's things that are stirring in you, just bring them to God and say, God, I don't understand, but would you enter into my circumstances? Would you enter into my, my difficulties? Would you be with me? All right, let's just uh, spend a few minutes praying as they get ready to lead us in song. keep our eyes on you, regardless of what's going on around us, that we would be people of worship, that we would learn from Silas, that we would be encouragers of one another. We thank you that the words that we sing are true. I thank you for your healing power that's gone out in this place and continues to flow. I pray for those who are uh, just looking for more uh, of you, more from you, that they would just uh, surrender to you and open their lives up to everything you have for them. Jesus' name, amen. Again, if you were uh, feeling the nudge as I was reading that list and you want prayer, there'll be prayer people down here. Uh, and happy birthday, Meg. Aww.